The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Good evening. Hope all of you can uh, hear me okay. Good. Uh, I kind of uh, feel a kinship with you, uh, my brothers and sisters, because uh, what we have in common is that uh, none of us are uh, in Connecticut uh, at the Wisdom House retreat. And uh, it's an important practice uh, retreat. Uh, it's the beginning of uh, summer ongo which is a period uh, when people try to uh, intensify their practice. They sort of recommit to their practice and they can do it in a number of ways just by adding an extra five minutes uh, to your usual sitting period would be one way of turning up the heat, uh, making a practice uh, of washing the dishes or some other activity of daily life, uh, that can be a practice. Uh, in my case, uh, I have a, uh, uh, a very important ongo practice, which is the reason uh, I'm not a, this week at the retreat in Wisdom House, although I will be going next week. Um, uh, yeah, right after I registered for uh, the retreat, uh, my old cat Snurky uh, came down with kidney disease. And uh, as a result, she needs to uh, be hydrated every other day. And uh, it's, you know, a process, uh, you have to, she has to get the fluids under her skin. And so you have this kind of IV set up like you'd have in a hospital and you have to hit her with a needle in just the right place so she doesn't feel it much. And uh, uh, Corinna will be taking her to the vet for this procedure next week when I'm away. But uh, uh, I didn't feel that schlepping the cat to the vet for two weeks in a row was, uh, this didn't seem appropriate to me. Uh, so uh, I'm not at uh, the retreat this week. And in a way, I'm very glad I'm not uh, because it's given me a chance to reflect on uh, what uh, Ango is uh, translated as peaceful dwelling. And of course, Ango uh, traditionally was a monastic practice. Uh, uh, its origins go back to before Buddhism, uh, uh, when ascetics uh, in India would uh, take the opportunity of uh, monsoon season uh, to take up residence in caves and uh, work on their practice together. Uh, 
Uh, by the Buddhist time, there were monasteries all over India and uh, Ango was done at various places, including a monastery. Uh, and there's a story that the Dogen Zenji tells uh, that I think uh, is valuable to me and it might be valuable uh, to you in terms of thinking about uh, how, how can I really do authentic practice uh, but living a civilian life, living a lay person's life at home? Uh, can I bring the summer practice retreat into my home and into my community and into my life? Uh, and the story that Dogen tells uh, goes like this. Uh, one time, the world honored one, uh, the Buddha, held a summer practice period in a monastery. On the last day of the retreat, uh, when the monks would assemble to uh, confess their faults and ask for forgiveness, uh, Manjusri suddenly appeared. Now, I have to explain the cast of characters a little. Uh, of course, the world honor one of the Buddha, Shakyamuni, Gautama, he needs no uh, introduction. Manjusri is the bodhisattva of wisdom, and he's on the altar uh, in every Zen monastery. Uh, he's a mythical figure who's portrayed as uh, holding a sword or a knife with which he cuts off delusions. Uh, actually, it's not quite all that dramatic. And when we're doing zazen, when we let go of our thoughts, we are manjusri, cutting off illusions. And we do it again and again and again. So that's manjusri. He's uh, represent uh, the wisdom, uh, the wisdom that arises when we learn that there are is something we can rely on, but besides our thinking, figuring mind uh, to guide us in the direction of our lives, because not everything can be figured out, not by any means. So that's Manjusri. The other character in this story who will be coming up next is Mahakasyapa. Mahakasyapa was the Buddha's first successor. And uh, he uh, stands for deep, deep, deep monastic practice. He was more ascetic than anyone. Uh, very, very given to austerity, uh, practicing on his own. Uh, not eating all, all, all the stuff that uh, Shakyamuni kind of rejected uh, eventually. Uh, but Mahakasyapa was the monk's monk, the ascetic's ascetic. 
So, uh, as the monks assembled to confess their faults and ask for forgiveness, suddenly Manjushri popped up. And Mahakasyapa said, where have you been spending the practice period? Where were you, Bob? And Manjushri said, in three places, in a demon's cave, in a rich man's mansion, and in a whorehouse. And Mahakasyapa was beside himself. And he told the assembled monks that he was going to expel Manjusri. And just as he lifted his gavel to make it official, suddenly a vision appeared before his eyes of an infinite number of monasteries throughout space and time. And in each of these infinite monasteries, there was a Manjusri, and there was a Maha Kasyapa. And the Buddha turned to Maha Kasyapa and said, which of these infinite Manjusris do you plan to expel? And Maha Kasyapa couldn't say a word. So my takeaway, uh, from this little fable is that if you think the monastery, you think the true seat of practice is in Litchfield, Connecticut or in Kyoto, Japan or in China or in India or anywhere else besides the place where you're sitting right now, I ask you to reconsider that assumption. You know, wherever you look, people always think the real practice is going on somewhere else. Uh, uh, if we're Americans uh, practicing as lay people, we think it's with the Jap Japanese Soto school sitting in monasteries in Japan. You read the accounts, uh, you read Dogen and uh, he laments the fact that the real practice that they practice in China is beyond the capability of ignorant people in Japan, but has to do his best. In China, earlier on, they were upset that they couldn't practice the way they practice in India, which was the real practice that they had to read all these the sutras and translation. They couldn't read the Sanskrit or the Pali. They couldn't read the real sutras. But what I would suggest is we listen to Manjusri uh, and entertain the possibility that if we're practicing hard in a whorehouse or in a mansion or in, a, in hell in a demon's cave, 
right there is our monastery. You know, we say that Zen is really a very simple practice. You only have to do two things. You have to take care of the temple and you have to engage in contemplation. Taking care of the temple doesn't mean taking care of Wisdom House in Connecticut, unless you happen to be there at the moment. It means taking care of your household, taking care of your children or grandchildren, washing the dishes, vacuuming the floor, taking care of your body, making sure it's adequately nourished and exercised. Taking care of the temple happens not somewhere else, but right in the temple that you happen to be living in right now. And of course, contemplation can go on anywhere. We can do zazen right where we're sitting now. And we can bring the mind of zazen, uh, the mind of openness, the mind of focus to any activity that we do, whether it's washing the dishes, taking care of the kid, or in my case, hydrating a cat. Uh, it's a very meditative activity because, you know, there's a little place where if you hit it right, she hardly feels it, the needle going in at all. And if you don't hit it right, she lets you know that in no uncertain terms. So you have to be there. You have to focus. You have to gather the mind, session, just as they're doing in Litchfield right now. So we can uh, have a wonderful summer practice period without traveling from our homes or our communities. It all depends on the attitude we bring. If we bring the mind of practice, to where we are now, then your house is a dojo. Your community is a sangha, community of mutual service and interaction. What do you bring to it? Of course, if you act like it's a garbage dump or a whorehouse, that's exactly where you'll find yourself. That's exactly what will be reflected back to you. And in every monastery, in all of the monasteries that we inhabit, uh, there needs to be a Manjusri, and there needs to be a Mahakasyapa. If you lean too much to what Manjusri is pointing out in the fable. Oh, well, anything I do is uh, anything I, wherever I go is practice. Well, true enough, if Mahakasyapa is there as well, if wholehearted sincerity 
selfless practice, the heart of service is there in your attitude. And wherever you are is a monastery, wherever you are is a place of practice. Dogen uh, talks about this in our uh, study text, uh, The Mountains and Waters Sutra. Uh, and sort of the title of that answers the question right there of, uh, well, we have to read all the, all the teachings in translation. They can't be the real teachings. But the sutra isn't just what you read in books. The sutra is in the sighing of the wind of the trees, the tweeting of birds, the cry of a baby that needs to be fed. The sutra, the sutra that Dogen is talking about is preached perfectly by mountains and waters, our spiritual eye is open. Uh, Dogen says, the green mountains always practice walking and the Eastern mountains always practice traveling on the water. Accordingly, these activities are the practice of mountains, keeping its form without changing body and mind. The mountain is always practicing wherever it may be. The language is poetic, uh, but actually as Often is the case, it's not pointing to out anything that's uh, kooky, spooky, or airy fairy. Uh, Dogen Zenji earlier says the practice of mountains walking is just like the practice of humans walking. For Dogen Zenji, practice is the actualization of Buddha, of our Buddha nature. No practice, no actualization, no Buddha nature. So if humans walk and practice walking, that is not different than the practice of mountains walking. Our practice is actualized always in each moment with all beings. So as we walk, the birds and the rabbits and the squirrels walk, the trees walk, the mountains walk. We are always practicing together with all beings because we're all arising in this very moment, in this very place. How could mountains not be walking if you're not, not walking? Your walking is the walking of the mountains and the mountains walking is your walking. 
we all arise together in this moment. This is the mind, which for the moment doesn't divide the world into separate forms, mountains and humans and cars and buses and so on. It's just all arising. It's all practicing like a huge symphony of various instruments in this moment. The playing of the piccolo is not the same as the playing of the bassoon. But they're playing in this moment. The orchestra is playing in this moment. So in that sense, each instrument, the practice of each instrument is the practice of all the instruments. And the practice of all the instruments is the practice the individual instrument you happen to be playing. So Dogen Zenji says, without holding its form, without changing body and mind, the mountain always practices right where it is keeping its form, keeping the form of a befuddled old man who's hydrating his cat without it feeling like anything special at all, nothing like uh, becoming one with the universe or any of that. If you're all one with the universe, why does being one with the universe have to feel like anything special? It don't. You can just go ahead and hydrate the cat as well as if you can possibly do it. And you show up for it each and every day that it needs to be done. You show up for zazen each and every day as part of your practice. And if you're not, then you aspire to that kind of practice. You take care of the temple. You practice contemplation in the dojo where you sit. You save all beings and you save the mountains and the rivers right at this moment in the place where you're sitting and practicing now. Mm -hmm.